was a Christian church. We believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that He did it out of nothing. We believe that He created everything that's ever been made in six days. And we believe that on that sixth day, God created the pinnacle of all that He made. He made man. And why? Because man is made in God's image. Nothing else bears the image of God but man. And we understand from Scripture that something really wrong went down in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And man defied God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when that happened, through that one man, Adam, sin spread to all men and death came into the world for the first time. And from that point forward, every one of us can trace our family history, our family tree, back through Noah, all the way back to that one man, Adam. And we know that God, in His mercy, needed to rescue His man. And God made a lot of promises throughout the Old Testament that He would provide a Redeemer, a Savior, a substitute, one who would make right the wrong that happened in the Garden of Eden. And we know that that one man that God did that through, his name is Jesus Christ, the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And Jesus is the Word, and He became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Miracle of all miracles. And He lived on this earth for what we think is about 33 years. And during those 33 years, He lived by the Bible, the Old Testament Scriptures. And he fulfilled every single solitary commandment that God ever gave to man. And he was without flaw, sinless to his death. Ah, his death. We know that an innocent man, Jesus Christ, hung on a cross and died. Some say he was a good guy, a moralist. Some say he was a prophet. And I'm going to tell you that he was God himself in the flesh. Because only God could live a sinless life on earth in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He hung on that cross in the place for every person that would confess with His mouth that He was Lord and every person that would believe in His heart that God raised Him from the dead on the third day, Easter morning. And that happened. And then we know from the Bible that Jesus walked on the earth for 40 days interacting with His disciples and there are a multitude of witnesses, some say even up to 500 according to Paul's scriptures in the Corinthians. And then after 40 days, we know that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father where He is right now interceding on our behalf and praying for us that God would provide for us and protect us and deliver us from the bondage of sin. And we know that Jesus did some things upon His departure, and I referenced this last week. I, I said he gave us four things for us to live off of and live with and live through as we continue on in this earth until our dying day or the day that Jesus comes back again. And those four things are in this order. First of all, he gave us the Holy Spirit. In John 14 and John 16, he specifically says, it's good for me to go because when I leave, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come and will keep you and teach you all that I've said to you. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, if that's who we are this morning, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we have this ability to understand the Scriptures and this ability to obey God and live a life for His glory. And an ability to be forgiven and convicted of our sins. He also gave us a very precious gift as well, and it's called the church. 
That's what we are. We are a local manifestation of the body of Jesus Christ that's globally manifested throughout churches all over this planet that are meeting this very day. But he gave us this church, and he tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are not to neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. But we are to gather together regularly, and we are to stir one another up to love and good works. And so we encourage one another to live the words of this Bible out and to live in the power of this Holy Spirit that indwells in us and to live a life of worship of this Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place and rose from the dead and defeated sin and death forever. And then it says this, we are to do that until the day that he returns. There's a day when Jesus Christ will come back. We're guaranteed it in the Bible. And every guarantee that we've had in the Bible so far has come true. And we are waiting for this one last one, this promised return of the Messiah, to gather us up as the church and to judge those that do not believe in him for all of eternity. And so in his place, in his absence, he gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us the church. Then within the church, he blesses us with two offices. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 3 calls them, offices. There's the office of overseer or elder or pastor. And we spent time talking, we spent two Sundays talking about that office and how we as elders or pastors are under shepherds, right, to the chief shepherd Jesus Christ. And everything that we do as elders and pastors in this church is to point the congregation to Jesus Christ. Not me. Not any other elder in this church. To Jesus Christ. We are his under-shepherds. But God also ordained that we'd have another office. And it's the office of deacon. For you see, I believe this is true. We cannot fulfill everything that Jesus Christ did in one man in this church. And God knows that. And he needs a multitude of elders, and he needs an army of deacons to be able to accomplish in this church what Jesus Christ would do on his own. And so God, in his wisdom, has this, if, if you will, this is my term, this division of labor, and this, this group that's dedicated to teaching and leading elders, and this body of men that's dedicated to serving and meeting the physical needs of the church, deacons. And so this morning, we are going to acknowledge and we are going to appoint and install four men into the office of deacon. And we need to understand what we're doing this morning, and this is going to be a service of worship and acknowledging God's provision for Rocky Point Baptist Church and what God has done in the lives of four men and their wives to get us to this point this morning. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're just going to set the foundation. I've already preached through this block of text, so we're not going to dissect this verse by verse, but we're going to read this to set our minds and our hearts at the right point here as we go through this installation service this morning. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 over in the New Testament towards the end, and we'll start in verse 8 and go through verse 13. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is leading in the church in Ephesus, and he has just explained the roles or the qualifications, rather, of overseers or elders or pastors. And now we get to verse 8 where he says, well, here's who a deacon should be. Okay, So here we go, verse 8, 1 Timothy 3. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, 
Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul gives us an official, and not, not an exhaustive, but an official list of qualifications that describe a man that is fit for the office of deacon. He provides us with a list of personal characteristics. This is not a job description. Notice that there's no duties. We've talked about that before. The key to a man being qualified to be a deacon in the church is character and heart. And God can take a right-hearted man with biblical character and biblical integrity, and he can change the world. So we don't have here a job description that says a deacon does this and does that. It's a description of the character of the man and says, here's who a deacon is. Why does Paul take this approach? The role of deacon is one of biblical character and integrity, as I've said. God wants men of character to serve in his church until Christ comes again. He wants men of character, not skilled men, not men with unique abilities. He wants men with unique hearts. The heart of a deacon must be right for there to be any possible positive fulfillment of his role in this office of deacon. The heart is critical. The so-called good actions that come from a bad heart do not glorify God. He wants the heart right and therefore the actions to be right. Because you see, Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 23 despises hypocrisy. He wants the heart and the action to line up perfectly. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 23. Just listen and I'll read this to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus Christ despised hypocrites. And Paul outlines for us here the inside of the cup, the inside of the tomb, the surface of the plate. The inside has got to be clean and pure before the outside can be. Because he says... If outwardly you're clean and you're doing good works, you're a hypocrite if inwardly you defy all of that. So I say to these deacon candidates this morning, you need to make certain, you need to make certain that you embrace what Jesus has said about hypocrisy in Matthew 23, 25 through 27. You need to make certain that you are pure in your heart and right before God so that your actions as they come out will mirror what's going on inside. Only then will you be a biblical deacon. Only then will you honor and love the Lord with your life. And only then will you thrive in this church. Jesus also, uh, or I'm sorry, Moses uh, referenced this issue in Psalm 90, verse 8. He says this, 
You have set our iniquities before you, O God, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And we've said often here in these gatherings, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. So deacons, know that God knows your heart. He knows what the inside of that tomb looks like, that it's whitewashed on the outside, but it doesn't match up on the inside. Or he knows the authenticity of your heart and how it matches up with your actions. So stand firm in checking your heart as you lead and serve in this church in the role of deacon. What's more, so-called good actions, good I put in quotes, so-called good actions that come from a bad heart cannot be sustained over time. It's impossible. You, you have a bad heart over time, your actions are going to start reflecting that heart. And it will be obvious to all. So you need to make sure that you're constantly lining your heart up against the one true measure, and that is the Word of God. And that you're fast to be about this Word. You're fast to repent when you deviate from it, even in the slightest. And God will keep you faithful in your role as deacon if you'll be faithful to the Word of God. There's two areas of qualification that Paul outlines in 1 Timothy 3 for deacons. The first one is that of personal qualifications, and that's found in verse 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. Likewise, the deacon must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, and they must also hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. We've unpacked each of those. I want to emphasize that last one. Hold fast to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. I said it last week. You hold fast to the gospel. You believe in Jesus Christ that I described at the front end of this service. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, and he overcame sin and death for those that believe in him. Believe in that gospel. Hold fast to that mystery of the faith so that you can then live with a clear conscience. If you deny that biblical truth of the gospel, you cannot live in the midst of this church serving with a clear conscience. You will be ridden with guilt, and we will, we will look at you and we will see evidence that you're not holding fast to the gospel. So the gospel is the center of your service as a deacon in this church. The second area of qualification is family-related. Look in verses 11 and 12. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. So there is a premium put here on the deacon's home life and his wife and his children and how he's leading and serving there. So candidates, you need to be ever, ever watchful of how you are lining up to these personal and family qualifications. You've got to get it done in your heart and in your home before you ever get it done up here. And we say to you this morning that we see evidence that you embrace these personal and family qualifications. And it's our desire to spur you on to stay that course and get more and more devoted in each of those areas as you serve in our church. Because if you lose this, you will lose the very ground that you stand on to serve in this capacity of deacon. If you lose your character, you lose the ground you stand on to serve in Christ's church. Now, right in between those two, verses 8 and 9 and 11 and 12, there's a verse that says this, verse 10, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. 
Men, you have been tested. Congregation, we have tested these four men. And we come before you this morning as elders and as the rest of the deacon body, and we say to you, we have four qualified men that meet the personal qualifications of the office of deacon, that meet the family qualifications of the office of deacon, and that have passed the test, if you will. How did we test them? The first thing is we've lived life with these four men for better part of a year, intentionally looking at them and their qualifications for this office of deacon. This is not something that we did by a personality contest four weeks ago. We've been testing and evaluating these men by living with them in service opportunities within this church for the better part of a year. Number two, we put a questionnaire before them, and it was theologically based upon these criteria that Paul outlines in 1 Timothy 3, and we've asked them to, with humility, right, with humility, demonstrate how you adhere to these qualifications that Paul is calling a deacon to live by. And then we've taken those answers and those observations that we've made in their life, and we interviewed them, and we interviewed other people that they interact with. And we stand before you, or I stand before you on behalf of the elders and the other deacons this morning, saying we have no doubt that God has blessed us. God has gifted us with four very unique men and four very unique wives of these men. And so now we're going to go into a time I want each of these men to come forward and briefly share with you their testimony about this calling to the office of deacon. And we're going to start with Heath. He stepped up boldly and said he'll go first. So we'll start with Heath and we'll work our way through. And as we do this, I urge you to prayerfully listen to them and to pray for them and their wives and to worship Christ and celebrate the gift of each one of these men to this congregation. So Heath, I'll let you come up first. And I think the mic is ready. Let's see what time it is, because he only gave us three minutes. Um, First of all, um, I know without a doubt, um, God has orchestrated this exact day um, for six years. Um, For six years, because um, on 4 and 14 of 2007, I was in a hunting accident, and today happens to be 4 and 14. Um not happens to be that's not a coincidence um, <clears throat> first i I want to thank you all um, for your prayers because they worked. I couldn't have got up those steps six years ago um, <clears throat> and god has um God has put Victoria and I in this church um, he put us here victoria's been going here since two thousand three and I have been since two thousand four um, We started off in college life um and then went over into married life, um, and now, for whatever reason, um, we are helping with, with married life, also with financial peace. Um, God has put these, these three passions in our hearts. Um, for whatever reason, we, we don't really know, but we love it. Um, and this is not um, with me and these other three guys and the rest of the deacons and the elders. This is, this is not a uh, put-me-on-pedestal moment. Um, this is a... Um, this is a cry out, especially for me and my wife, for y'all to continue to pray for us, because um, this is not a um, this is not a um, a position taken lightly uh, by any of us. I don't think, um, <clears throat> and um, we will we will continue to serve 
and to love you guys just like we have been for however long we've been here. Um, thank you so much for letting us serve you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for guiding us. Um, and I pray that um, you guys that may be sitting up here going, what is this guy doing up here? Um, or maybe a little bit convicted in your heart, um, wondering why you're not sitting up here with these other three and me. Um, I challenge you um, that, you know, um, God makes deacons. Um, God makes everything. Um, but until you choose God, how can he make you anything? Um, so I just challenge you to, to search out God, to find Jesus. And um, you can serve. That's all he wants from you, is to serve. And um, so that's about all I got. My name is Farron Danley, and I just want to make it clear. I'm so glad to have Heath as a deacon. He's a young man, but he honors God in his life. I want to make it plain and clear to all of y'all that we're not up here to glorify ourselves. I'm going to be talking about me, but glory goes to Jesus Christ. When Edward first asked me to, to get up here and or ask us, all of us, to say something really quick in three minutes, some of y'all know I've never been accused of not taking my allotted time, so I'm going to try to hurry up and get through this. But the first thing I thought of was a song we used to sing. And uh, the first verse goes, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. And uh, Fanny Crosby wrote that song. The next thing I thought of was John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, like I said, all glory goes to Jesus. I finally accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior at the age of 28. I think, Keith, you're, you're about 28, aren't you? And uh, so that shows you how far ahead of me you are at my age. I'm proud of you. It was a life-changing experience because I wasn't raised in church. I was raised in a... We never went to church. I was basically an atheist, and I met my wife... When I was 22 years old, I came down here to go to school. Tarleton and I met Donna when I was 22. We got married when I was 23. And it was just a change in my life. I didn't really know what God was doing in my life. But uh, I started going to church there and I didn't like it because I was lost. And I didn't want to hear it because, you know, I was under, I was under conviction and I knew I was lost and didn't really, didn't really want to have a relationship with God. I kind of liked being lost and living in the world. I was... I was a worldly person living in the world for all the pleasures that the world brings. But I learned how to take notes going to college, and I would take notes, and I would go home and look up these verses that these preachers were spitting out up here to see if they knew what they were talking about, and sure enough, they did. And so God tricked me into learning what the Bible teaches by being very hard-headed and stubborn and trying to prove the preacher wrong. You know, so God knows what he's doing. And... uh God knows how to get to us. You know, even me, I was running from God. I didn't care about God. There's two words, but God. Two, two of the most beautiful words in the world. And he knew how to get to me, and he got to me. Because we don't seek God. God seeks us. Romans 3, 10, 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. 
And in the six months leading up to the day that I was saved, there's a handful of people in here that knew me before I was saved. And uh, you know who you are. God sent a blitz, a football term blitz. He sent people from all over the place into my life and it was just saturating me with their testimonies and the gospel and you know, Jesus Christ and his love. He loves us when we're unlovable and we don't we don't even now, you know, none of us deserve his grace and mercy. But there was no doubt in my mind I was lost. And when I realized how much Jesus loved me and how much God the Father loves me, <laughs> my life changed, just like Edward was talking about. It was just a, a radical change in my life. And uh, God doesn't really ask me to do that much. It says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that, perfect, is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, God the Father loved me that much that he gave his only begotten son, for me, I have four boys, and they, I would not give any of them for any of you. My wife is Donna. I have four sons. Cody and Kenny are twins, they're 27, Kaylin's 22, and Kelly's 14. My sons are all saved and serving God in their lives. You know, to Jesus be the glory for that, not to me. Kenny is married to Anna. Cody is married to Hannah. Kenny and Anna are fixing to have a little baby girl. Praise God for that. Kaylin is engaged to Rachel. And Kelly hadn't met his wife yet, but we're praying for her. We prayed for our, our, our son's wives ever since they were born. And so uh, we haven't met her yet. God loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son. God the son loved me so much that he went through a violent, horrible death for me. I pledged to God when I was saved that I would give my life to honor him and you know, I'm just called to be a living sacrifice. He went through hell on earth. He was flogged and beaten. And everything he went through for me, I'm a living sacrifice. I don't have to do much compared to what he did for me. Uh, God has allowed me to teach Sunday school for the last 25 years. I served as a deacon for 13 years in my former church. And it's because of Jesus' love for me that I serve him and that I serve you. And I will be here to help you in any way I can. And all you got to do is call me. I'm humbled to be a part of the leadership of this church. I've really gotten to know your past, our pastor, the elders and the deacons, and they are devoted to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're devoted to you. And they love you all very much. Isaiah 6 8 says, Also I heard a voice of the Lord, the, the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go, who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God has given me the ability to use my hands. I'm a carpenter, have experiences in all, in all types of construction, farming and ranching and auto mechanics. I'm not limited to these areas, and I'll be available to you 24-7-365. So if you ever need anything, just give me a call. Galatians 6-7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Thank you. God bless. I'm humbled to stand before you today and talk to you about my journey that led me to this church. The journey began long ago. I'm, I'm happy to have members of my family here today, my parents, my mom, my dad, that the journey really began with them. 
And my sister, I would be remiss to mention her, she turned out marvelously well. But what a testament it is for parents to raise godly children. And I am here today as a product of my parents, and my sister is here today as a product of my parents and the godly children that they raised. And my in-laws are here today, Walter and Rinda. And what a testament it is to them that they raised four godly children, and I was privileged to be married to one of them and the godly wife that I have. And how for the last 15 years... I have depended on her and her faithful and her wise counsel. I've learned to listen to her counsel uh, many times, and I'm blessed to be here. And Hannah, the joy of this day can only be surpassed when, when, you, when you join us. Um, my journey to this church began several years ago, and whenever it asked us to talk about it, a verse came to my mind. It was 2 Corinthians 5.17, which states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I began to think and reminisce about my experiences here at Rocky Point and the profound changes brought to my life. I first became aware of Rocky Point about five years ago through my coworker and my friend, Marty Golightly. And when I mentioned that I was going to say his name, he said he was going to be sitting in a different spot. And so for everyone, he's up there in the balcony. <laughs> I was able to bear witness to a transformation in his life. I watched him grow and mature in his spirit, his family, his marriage, and his work. Having watched this transformation, I was drawn to its source. I listened to him talk about a church out in the country that was having an impact on his life. His growth and transformation laid bare my own stagnation. I realized how little effort I'd put into my spiritual life and how inadequate I was as a person, a father, and a husband. His directions were simple. Drive five miles out 205, you can't miss it. I remember clearly the first Sunday that I came here, I remember looking at this altar as it wraps all the way around, and I thought, what in the world do these people need with an altar this big? At the end of this service, my thought has changed to, we're going to need a bigger altar. Here at Rocky Point, I found a church that challenged you to change on many levels, a church that is not content to sit idly by, a church that was prepared to challenge you, a church that is built on a firm foundation of biblical truth, a church where business is conducted at your knees at the altar, a church that is called to change lives. God has used this church, and more precisely the people in this church, to change my life. He has brought me through dark valleys and through mountains. He has... Through times of green pastures and parched fields, he has renewed my strength and guided me along the right path through the people of Rocky Point. The Bible in its core is a story about change. It is a story about changed lives, changed hearts, and changed minds. Because God himself does not change, he uses his word to change us. The Bible is full of examples. Abraham was called out of his country. In Exodus, Moses was called to go back. He changes what we are known by as Jacob became Israel, as Abram became Abraham, Saul became Paul, Sarai became Sarah. He changes demonstrated plainly in the fruit of our church and our lives. In Luke 7, John's disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Are you the Messiah? In which he replies, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. I stand here today a changed man because of Rocky Point. A changed husband, a changed father, a changed employee, a changed life. I see, I walk, I hear, I clean, I live. In the same measure that has been poured into me by this church, I make that commitment to pour it back. 
As Edward has shown us over the last couple of weeks, the role of deacon is not about leadership, it is about servanthood. Several months ago, as he mentioned, I had the joy of filling out his deacon questionnaire with so many essays in it, I swear it would double as an application to seminary, if not the final exam. (laughs) I really had a hard time with a question that talked about your specific role as a deacon in this church. I struggled with that. An inventory of my personal skills and abilities would find find me far short of those. If you ever call me to fix your car, you may be in worse shape than you think. If you want me to come up here and to do carpentry work, you're in bad trouble. But when I became to realize that the details of that question are really inconsequential, it is the willingness to do the work that is important. Luke 10.2 says in part, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. My prayer is that I might be a worker in his harvest here at Rocky Point. The role of this church is to be a funnel for God's words into people's lives. It is about meeting the individual person and pointing them to Jesus Christ. It is in our job to move people closer to Jesus Christ every day. The goal is changed hearts, changed lives. Let us not be a church about quantity, but a church about the quality of lives changed. I encourage each and every one of you not to follow me in this journey, but to come with me in this journey. Let us not be content with where we are, but steadfast in where we are going. Let us be a new creation in Christ. Let us cast off the old and behold the new. All right, let's be real about the situation. I wrote a nice little speech, and I'm way too nervous to read it, so there's no chance that's going to happen. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor to, uh, to be up here today and to follow those three men and to serve with the other uh, elders and the deacons, including Ronnie. Uh, and it's, it's been an honor. Uh, Ten years, nine months, and 28 days ago, I thought God blessed me with the most amazing thing ever, marrying my beautiful wife. It's been an honor to find out that I was wrong. The blessing was serving with my beautiful wife and growing towards Jesus Christ. Since then, he's blessed us with three amazing children and, uh, and an amazing church body. Uh, it, this is way more difficult than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Uh, it... It's been one year since they came to me and my wife and asked us to pray about following and serving as a deacon. And it uh, first came to my mind was, sounds really nice to be able to serve and I want to be more involved, but at the same time, I'm really busy. You know, I work for a living, right? Like all these other guys don't. Uh, then, I, then I met with them and found out I was wrong. And the deacons... Uh, all serve in their free time, and they put more of it out there than I could have possibly imagined before I met with them all. Uh, it, it really has been an honor the last year to learn about being a deacon and to learn what it was to serve and where to serve in the church. There used to be a thing on all the bulletins, and it says it out in the hallway now. It says, a church alive is worth the drive. And I think that's what Rocky Point represents is a church alive. It's a church where people serve each other for a higher purpose. We, uh, we help one another. 
spur one another on to worship our Lord and Savior. Um, it's, a, it's very important for me to, uh, to stay humble in my life. Uh, I didn't grow up very humble. Uh, until I met my wife, I wasn't very humble at all. Uh, I wasn't accepting the Lord in my life, and, uh, and I just kind of ran with it. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be up here today, uh, even as nervous as I am. And, uh, and I look forward to continuing to grow, to serve y'all, and to just be an open heart. When I was, uh, when I was younger, we went through some financial difficulties, and uh, we had an amazing family support. My grandparents and my aunts and my uncles, they were always there for us. So me as a child, I never really got to see it. You know, I never really noticed how much struggle my parents went through to provide for us. And now as I'm older, I can look back on it and, and, and see what all they did for me. And I think as a deacon, uh, serving over the last six months on the uh, Benevolence Committee, I get to see that a church can be that family for somebody that doesn't have that family. Uh, somebody that doesn't have that support of grandparents or mothers or fathers. Uh, a church can be there for them and provide them guidance and leadership and, and more importantly, godly leadership. And uh, I'm just extremely honored to be able to serve in that role. And I hope that uh, we can all serve together and continue to grow. And I just am really, really humbled today to be up here. And I thank you all for y'all's time. So how great is that? We just heard from four men, and I'm telling you, those what you just heard is exactly who they are, and you know that. You know these men. We just heard hearts that are passionate about their wives, passionate about their church, passionate about Jesus Christ, and they're dying to serve in this church, us. What a gift from God. What a gift from Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. All right, deacons, let me, let me say one more thing to you. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 of, of, of that verse finishes out that section with this. For those who serve as deacons, <clears throat> for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When you fulfill these qualifications as a deacon... And when you serve this body of Christ as Christ intends you to serve, you gain a good reputation. Now let's be careful with that. Because we all are to live the life in such a way that we gain a good reputation, correct? That's a godly trait to have. But you are to gain this good reputation, not for the glory of yourselves. And I think we heard that from each and every one of you this morning. You're to use that reputation to point people to Jesus Christ. So it's not self-promotion, it's Christ-promotion. And secondly, the passage says that you also, by serving well, you also will gain a great confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ. And so through serving in this church and fulfilling these qualifications, together those things will build up your confidence in the gospel that you hold fast to and that enables you to live with a clean conscience. And so serving is Christ-centered in that your reputation is, is magnified in such a way that you can now point people to Christ more, and your relationship with him will grow as well. Because why? Because you will be imitating Jesus Christ 
in a servant role, serving people sacrificially above and beyond your own interests. So my challenge to you is to focus on verse 13 of 1 Timothy 3.8 and, and check yourself and watch that unfold as you faithfully fulfill this calling of deacon in our midst. Congregation, there are four things that you, that we, must be about as we consider our deacons. These four men and the other 16 that they join. We must be about four things. The first thing is that we must be faithful to pray for these men and their wives. They have qualifications here that they're called to live by. These qualifications apply to every single one of us. But they hold an office. And when they fail, it's visible in a way that's detrimental to the church. And so would you please pledge faithfully to pray for these men and their wives regularly so that we can have a deacon body that is faithfully living out the biblical qualifications that Christ set forth for them. So first thing is I want you to pray faithfully for these men that they would continue to meet the qualifications as well as their wives. Second thing, I want you to be faithful to love these men and their wives. Every last one of them is a gift from the Lord. So love Christ by loving them. Make this role of service in the church easy for them. Okay? Make it easy for them. Love them. And it will only make these men and women want to serve us all the more. And it will compound and grow in stature and in fervor. Number three, I would ask that you would use these men and women. Lean on them. They have just stood before us and said, we are here to serve you. We want to meet your needs. Even if I'm not the greatest mechanic or greatest carpenter, I will be there. The, the harvesters are few. I want to serve. Lean on these couples and lean on our deacon body for the services that you need in this church. That is why Christ has given them to us. And then lastly, I would ask that you would imitate these men and their wives. No one is exempt from serving in this church. These men served for a long time in this church, right? Remember we've said, we don't make deacons, do we? We recognize deacons. We didn't put these guys through the deacon factory for 12 months and turn out a deacon to present to you here today. No, we have recognized who God raised up in our midst to uniquely serve here at Rocky Point Baptist Church. And so that could be you sometime in the future. But we are all called to serve, to serve one another. And by doing so, by having qualified deacons and an engaged church body that loves this deacon body and a deacon body that serves the church, we are one step closer to becoming a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And that's what this series is all about. And that's what deacons are all about. Enabling the church to fulfill her purpose of being a pillar and a buttress of the truth, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So would you pledge to join in those four ways in loving and praying for and imitating and using these deacons so that we can be that pillar and buttress for the truth. All right. Here's what we're going to do now. To wrap up this service, we're going to have the deacons and their wives right where they are. Could I get the Seaborns to move right here? And that way we'll spread a little. And I'm going to ask members of the church... And family, if you're here with them, I would ask that during this time now, you would come forward and we're going to pray 
over these men and women. And we're going to ask the Lord to bless them. We're going to thank the Lord for the gift of them. And we're going to install them by the laying on of hands and praying for them um, as we wrap up this service. So if you will start making your way forward, and you can make your rounds or, or do whatever you feel led to by the Lord, in this time we'll worship through prayer in installing these deacons. Okay? All right.